Good morning, fish keepers. Cam here from the fishroom.co.nz. We've done it again. We made Friday. Happy days. Yeah, it's good coffee. That's always good coffee. Um, that's not actually, but definitely is today. Just a bit of very, very quick admin because we have a special guest sitting waiting for us. Um, the roadworks that are happening outside the shop are still happening. They came in and talked to me this week and said that uh, this weekend will be the last major interruption. So they're ripping the best part of the street up in front of us, which means there'll be no parking outside of the shop this weekend. But you can go around the back of the shop. Both the gates will be opening. He's coming and park around the back. No dramas whatsoever. Uh, so that'll be tomorrow because we're only open on Saturday, obviously. So 10 to 3 tomorrow. Um, we're rocking and rolling, so yeah. Right, without too much more mucking around, let's bring on John, and we'll bring on Paul. Hello. Hi, How's everybody Good. going? Good. Cool. All right, so thank you very much for joining us, Paul. It's much appreciated. Um, I know it's fairly early for you over there at the morning, but it's uh, nice to be here with us. Yep. Cool. So mm -hmm. first, first question I've got for you is... Um, what got you started in the hobby? Well, um, I remember standing up at school when they asked me what I wanted to be when I was older. And I very clearly remember saying that I wanted to be a rock star. And then yeah, cool. in, instead of spending all my money on drugs, I was going to buy an aquarium shop. <laughs> As it turns out, I went through the Australian Institute of Music. I played in bands all my life. Um, at the moment, I'm playing in a band called um, Wonderland Drive. So if you go on Spotify, you can um, check it out. Um, it's pretty awesome music. We haven't actually played live yet. We've just been writing songs and stuff. So we've got two new songs coming. The band had two songs before I joined. Um, and then the latest two I'm on. And then there's two more coming that we're in the process of recording at the moment. Um, so I've sort of been into music all my life. But um, my plan A certainly hasn't worked out to be a financial venture because <laughs> that's certainly cost me um, in every single way. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. And so plan B was um, starting an aquarium shop. So I started um, breeding fish and selling them as cichlids became a thing in Australia, so I'm saying like the early 90s, mm -hmm. as species of cichlids started to find their way to the country, um, I started to breed them and sell them. And then I started working at St. George Aquariums when I was uh, probably about 16, 17. And um, that was, oh, well, it was, actually, it was in about 1994 that I started working there. And that was pretty much the best aquarium in Australia, pretty much. And they had about five or six species of cichlid when I started. And then by the time I left St. George Aquariums, they had every single species available in Australia. <laughs> wow. Fantastic. It's, it was unbelievable. There's nothing like that now. Like we used to pretty much preserve every species of fish. Um, and because it was such a big shop and it had the capacity to do that, then I left St. George Aquariums in 1999 to start Majestic Aquariums. And then I used to run a program called Save the Cichlid, 
Because something that I was very aware of is species would come and go. Mm, very much so. And back at St George, for a period of a good five years, we didn't lose any species because we would keep um, um, brood stock and mm -hmm. we would basically assign people to breed those fish. And while I had the, I guess, the um, control via um, St George Aquariums, it sort of worked. But then once I moved to Majestic Aquariums and um, suddenly it was all my money mm -hmm. and suddenly everything had to become commercially viable, you just couldn't do that or I just didn't have the capacity to do that. So I started a program called Save the Cichlid and Save the Cichlid was actually just an exercise book and I would list every species of cichlid and who would breed the cichlid. Um, and while this program was growing, it was, it was quite good. But the problem is um, as online started to become a thing, and as people could buy and sell their own fish and, the, and I was no longer the hinge of your, your average fish hobbyist, um, it just completely became unworkable in that people started to, um, um, I guess, build their own reputations and build their own business little mini business outside of me mm -hmm. and so after a while i just couldn't keep track of who had what and then it even got to the point where some people wouldn't even want to tell you because you know it's as if that was somehow their little treasure or their little secret card or something like that yeah. so yeah. i did end up disbanding that and now that um, I'm actually the aquatic director and vice president of the PIAA now, which is the Pet Industry Association of Australia. And so I, I'm, there's something inside me that really wants to bring that program back. Mm -hmm. But I still need to get around the fact that um, people, for some reason, nowadays just don't want to tell you what they've got. So you're always chasing them. Are you still breeding that fish? Are you still... Because the idea was to make somebody accountable um, via their own um, um, agreement yeah. to keep it, to keep a fish alive. So, like, let's say that you're going to pick a certain species, then the idea is for you to make sure you keep breeding that species regardless of demand until you pass the baton to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um. And it does require energy. So when the when rare cichlids were a thing, there was something in it for me, and there was some sort of financial benefit in being that that sort of like access to the wheel. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, um, rare is no longer really a sales pitch. Like back in the old days, as new fish became more and more available the fact it was new or the fact it was rare was exciting for people. Mm. And also it was very different back in those days because people used to breed fish because they wanted to breed fish. Yeah. Now people will breed fish, they'll enjoy it, and then they'll sort of they tick that box. Um, and you don't see 
whole garages full of fish tanks anymore like there used to be. Um, so there's not that thirst to breed fish like there was. Most of my customers now just have a beautiful fish tank and want colourful fish in it. Yeah. So th that um, desire to get something new and rare, it just I, I just don't see it anymore because people just want a colourful fish. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that turns around, but there's there's been so many beautiful, unique species that have come and gone. And at the end of the day, unless they're super unique or they're really colourful, it's they just don't seem to be missed like they used to be. Yep. So once again, for you to put that sort of effort in, there has to be some sort of financial gain. So... I've got to figure out how do I stop losing these fish um, and somebody have something in it for them to do it. So whether that be get the – like we're rebuilding the PIAA at the moment, the Pet Industry Association of Australia. Like we – I never intended on getting involved in the Pet Industry Association uh, until um, the auditors gave it one year to – um, become financially viable or close. And Anthony Ramsey, who's the current um, president, he blew the whistle on it because it really, um, let's say, um, wasn't being managed. And then um, he got involved in it. And then um, I ended up getting involved as well. Basically, because see, the problem is that the PIAA is the industry's voice to government. Yeah. And if we lose the PIAA, now I, I'm not sure what – does New Zealand have something similar? Uh, we do have a pet association. I think the vast majority of people are unaware that it is. We have see, one in the UK as well. O-A-T-O, I think it's called. See, that's a huge disservice. Because if you have a pet industry of New Zealand, what you have to realise is the rules you follow were made up and you can unmake them up. You can update them. See, people, they look at the, oh, we're not allowed to do this. Why aren't you allowed to do that? For example, I'm quite sure that New Zealand's got a whole bunch of rules which in reality are irrelevant, particularly um, in your areas which are, you know, like you've got to look at why are they not letting in the fish that they're not letting in. Like we, the Pet Industry Association now has a whole heap of submissions to the government to increase the range of fish that are available. So I guess what, what I'd encourage people to say, to, to do, is get involved in your association because somebody made those rules up and maybe they had a relevant reason at the time for that rule, but maybe that rule needs updating and maybe that rule is what you're playing your your hobby or your life by. You've got to look at those rules and are those rules the most relevant now? And if they're not, why don't you change them? Yeah, because you can build so much better industry, um, and potentially have zero or even a benefit to the ecology and 
there's so much more you can do when you're scrutinising those rules. Mm -hmm. um, see, Australia has some really major threats um, added at the moment. Um, there's, there's constant and current quarantine reviews. Mm -hmm. Some of them have um, really worked against the industry. Um, and then the PIAA is the body that sort of like um, pushes to make the um, rules as reasonable, effective and as commercial as possible. Um, also, the government has announced that they want to get rid of our grey list. Now, do you have, do you understand what a grey list is? Yeah. Uh, I don't know what a grey list is. I'm assuming it's similar to our, our white list of allowed species. So, so the, I don't know how New Zealand works, but in Australia, we've got a white list or an allowable import list. Yeah. And then we have a noxious list, which is a red list or black list which are the fish that, you know, we all agree that this is not an appropriate fish for this country. And then there's a grey list, which is basically, it's not a noxious fish. It's not deemed as a danger, um, but it's not on the allowable import list. So therefore the grey list you're allowed to buy and sell currently, you're just not allowed to import it. Right. And I'm a big fan of this system. It maintains value for the fish on the grey list, it bans the fish that need to be banned and it allows import for the fish that um, we deem as not to be a risk. Mm -hmm. And the, our government have announced that they want to get rid of the grey list, just ban it all. So they can move all that onto the noxious list. It, so we're in it, here in Australia, we're set to lose about 450 regularly traded species. Wow. We no longer can buy or sell them. They're, normally, they'll give you a one-year amnesty, and it will cripple our industry. And so um, I've become a huge advocate for the PIAA because basically the Australian pet industry will be devastated. Now, changing rules, once they're changed, is very, very hard. Now, there's so many people in the industry like, oh, they'll never do that. Do you want to bet? Absolutely, they will. Now, the and these people are like, oh, you know, that doesn't make sense. Now, if you've ever sat in a meeting with a politician, you'll realise that sense has zero to do with it. <laughs> All they care about is the headline. So yeah. I, I, I'm listening to, for example, somebody that is the um, the current minister that makes these decisions. Now, three weeks ago, that same minister was the education minister. Couldn't tell the difference between a guppy and a cichlid. And this person's making the decision. And the embarrassing thing is that when you listen to the meeting, and mind you, Anthony Ramsey does the talking, he is so good on his feet. He is an absolute born leader with this stuff. Um, I'm way too quick to say what I think, which... Um, you know, it gets me picked out of bands and all sorts of things. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. So, so um, yeah, people don't want to hear the truth. No. So um, these people, these people, all they're looking for is the headline. They just want to know what's the headline, what impact can they make that they can sell. They don't actually care what's going on with our industry. Mm. They only care how they look. For example... 
you know that they closed Hawaii, Hawaii's fishery. So I was over in Hawaii just around the time when this happened. They got a green government in, and the green government said, we are going to save the endemic fish of Hawaii. And they named something like 13 endemic species. Now, PIJAC, which is the American equivalent of PIAA, identified about 20 years ago that um, there's a potential impact on these species of fish. PIJAC implemented a quota program. And when I spoke to Bruce Carlson last, which was a few years ago, who um, is involved in all this stuff, is the natural distribution and natural abundance of this fish year on year every single species had improved year on year for the last 13 years so 20 years ago they identified a problem the industry itself regulated the problem and all of those fish are back to full abundance now and then the greenies come in there's signs all through hawaii we are saving the fish guess what they didn't need saving. They were saved. And they banned. They absolutely, and the Hawaiian fishery is a multi-million, billion, I don't know, dollar industry. Closed the whole thing down. It's still closed. The industry is currently still fighting, and they're starting to win now. So you will see Hawaii open up again. But at massive, massive financial damage, massive damage to the industry and zero benefit to the environment because the thing is that people don't realize about let's say for example uh, a yellow tang if there's a massive school of yellow tangs the environment can handle a certain number of yellow tangs you take a couple of yellow tangs out suddenly there's the ability for a few more yellow tangs now if, if you're careful in the way that you collect these fish you can do it with zero impact. Mm-hmm. But there right. needs to be laws in place. There's only a certain amount of natural abundance. And if you remove a little bit via ratio, you can do it with no damage. Like even with coral collecting. Um, I don't know if you guys know about what happened, I guess, um, late 90s, early 2000s. I'm not great with dates. But basically... Once again, you can never, ever underestimate the stupidity of a politician. Um, (laughs) Senator um, Robert Hill was watching TV and he saw this terrible program about corals being collected. He made a phone call that night and shut the coral reef fisheries. All collection on the Great Barrier Reef finished. Now... um, PIAA and um, the reef stewardship, so various people all jumped into action and got it overturned. Huge work from people like Lyle Squire and uh, various other politicians got involved. I think I heard Bob Hawke got involved. Um, So anyway, they, they overturned this. But as it turns out, Robert Hill was watching a program about the Philippines and the way that um, Australia managed their coral reef fishery is actually amazing with zero damage. I've been to like relatively small atolls 
which um, like back in the day, I'd go out collecting with companies like Osreef just for fun, just for the experience of it. Yeah. And Trent would show me areas of like several meters squared. He'd go, I come and collect from here every week. You find one place where you think I've collected a coral. You can't find it. Because the thing is that once again, imagine you've got a rainforest and you remove a tree there and a tree there and a tree over here. It all just, it's such a fertile, um, um, highly growth area. Everything just makes room for everything else. Now, if you go and clear it, this is a problem. But that's not what we do. We don't just go and clear it. You know, we very carefully, strategically remove things and then everything else can grow because a good, healthy coral reef, the whole thing is full. You remove one, the rest can grow. And then the whole, oh, I'm going off on a great tangent now. Um, <laughs> it's all good. For, for example, the Great Barrier Reef. I made a video many, many years ago predicting that the Great Barrier Reef dying would become a major headline. And sure enough, around that time, believe it or not, Oh, the Great Barrier Reef's dying, it's bleaching, it's dying. It's not. The Great Barrier Reef right now is the healthiest and most diverse it's been in its history. Wow. Now, does anyone tell you that? No. All they want to tell you, the papers just want to tell you doom and gloom, and then they just want to distract you and be divisive. So mm. basically, the coral reef has some stress. But the coral reef, how, how it's evolving is unbelievable. And, for example, people see the corals bleach and they go, oh, the coral's dead. It's not dead. Most of them actually take their zooanthelli back up again. Like Lyle Squire and, um, and um, Fitzpatrick. Anyway, they went and took, um, like, cinematography footage of various parts of the reef that, that had um, bleaching events. Mm -hmm. And then with actual GPS coordinates. And they sold that footage everywhere. All the footage you see on TV, a lot of it was them. And Fitzpatrick does a lot of the, all the stuff for David Attenborough. Um, right. They went back six months later and you could clearly see that it was back. It was healthy. Wow. It was diverse. It was, you know, there's some deaths, don't get me wrong, but when the, temperatures too high there is a there is a consequence for that but then then they went to go and show send everyone that footage again nobody wanted anything to do with it they they don't want the good story that you know and then i was um um i was in vegas with one of the main coral scientists i won't say his name but and I said to him, I go, look, we'll actually buy the pool. And I said to him, look, why is it that you guys just love talking about how the Great Barrier Reef's dying and you don't ever want to talk about that it's not? You know, it has some stresses and it has some problems. It needs our respect. It needs our care. But it's not dying. It's, it's healthy. It's, it's in good condition. And he's like, why would I? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, when they think that the Great Barrier is dying, companies throw millions of dollars at us. And we do very good research with their millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. The second 
that they think it's okay, every single dollar dries up. No one's throwing money at us. And we're not going to do all this great research. And he goes, I have no trouble sleeping at night because I use their money and I do great research with it. And, you know, and you know what? I, I it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's anyway, it's an interesting thing. Uh, Let me uh, yeah. So, so, um, where did I get to? Yeah, so, so once again, with having faith in politicians, I think is a very, very bad thing. Believing that laws should be is a very bad thing. I think everything needs questioning. And these, and once again, these laws absolutely dictate our business. And allowing um, misinformation to, um, to generate is, is just crazy. Like... There are plenty of people that do not keep corals because they think that, that doing that would somehow damage the reef. Now, corals can be collected badly. I'm not saying they can't. But if you look at ca- companies like Cairns Marine and Monsoon Aquatics that we have here in Australia, their collection techniques are unbelievable and they're absolutely zero damage. So the education, the awareness, the passion that um, that these aquariums are, are bringing to the world, I, I think is, is the most unbelievably wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. And for us to sit back as an industry and let the media dictate um, lies, I, I think is on us. And even this whole, like Peter's big promotion now, fishing tanks, no thanks. I mean, okay, let's face it. There are some fish that are put in tanks that shouldn't be there. But, you know, that's, that, that happens. But at the same time, um, I, I remember reading in Reader's Digest like a long, long time ago about a Miami study that I wish I could get access to where they did a study on the epistogrammic cacatoides and, and they looked at every single metric that they could measure cortisol levels, respiration rates, blood pH, everything, behaviour, um, and basically found that a fish in an appropriately sized aquarium is happier and less stressed and have higher life satisfaction levels than they would in the wild. So you can create a utopia for your fish in your fish tank. Mm-hmm. you just got to make sure the animal has got enough room Make sure the water quality is good. Make sure he's got good quality food. And this food is this fish is happy. Your fish tank is a is a utopia. And the other thing is that people look at a fish and they go, "Oh, I'd be bored in there." Good on you. You're not a fish. Fish <laughs> exactly. don't have the same range of emotions. They don't have bored. You know, but people. You like, know oh, I want to get a. Sorry, when they're in that aquarium, there's no predator to worry about. And they soon learn that because reduces their cortisol levels straight away. Totally. Absolutely. So fish have got emotions. Like they have emotions. They have feelings. I believe all that. But they have happy or stressed. You know, like um, they don't have bored or sad or, you know know what I mean? They don't have them. Mm. So the fish is happy. If it's got 
somewhere to hide. It's even got someone to mate with. It's got someone to muck around with. You know, you're creating heaven. Mm -hmm. You're creating heaven for these fish. They're not having to compete to survive. They're not having to compete to breed. They're not having to, you know, they just live in this wonderful little um, little bubble, which, you know, a fish tank is heaven. Yeah. And food I mean, that, comes down from the sky. It, it does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it literally does. Um, so, I mean, this is what we should be getting out into the public. We should be, and I mean, a lot of fish are bred anyway. So a lot of fish are not even coming from the wild. And the ones that are coming from the wild, as long as they're coming sustainably, mm. it's it's actually a wonderful thing. Another thing I read in Reader's Digest is that if you, because uh, I, I read things, and if I like that, I believe it. Um, so if you watch a fish tank for fifteen minutes a day, you can lower your stress level by forty percent. That's hundred percent true. <laughs> I just believe that. Like you know, you sit down and watch a fish. You forget about the world. It's so much like meditating. It's so relaxing and beautiful. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I just think it's a wonderful thing. And having that body of water just takes away your negative energies. I mean, I just think that a fish tank is a wonderful thing for your health. And I just think it's a good thing for your family. Like, it's so wonderful to watch families come together over fish. Like, I remember one customer I had many years ago, and he's like, he and his son had a terrible relationship. Anyway, they end up, dad bought a fish tank, son got interested in it, and then the fish tank became the glue of a father-son relationship. Lovely. And something goes, we're talking. You know, we're, we're doing something together. You mm -hmm. see this, you know. But this happens by enrolling people. So like, I'm a really big fan of Facebook and fish tanks. For example... When you get yourself a new fish, make a post, put it on your Facebook page. Because you know what? Facebook gives you reminders where it goes, hey, this is what you did last year. And you're like, hey, that's that little dude. Look at him. Oh, look yeah, at him now. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's really cool to see what your fish tank was like. And also it shows other people. And, and But you know what? Finding Nemo was one of the best things. I, I go off in a thousand directions, don't I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> was the best thing ever for our industry because it yeah. gave a personality. I believe they've got a personality. And the other thing is like when people come into my store to buy fish, I believe there's three sorts of hobbyists. There's hobbyist number one. He comes in and goes, oh, yeah, I've got a blue fish, a yellow fish, and a red fish. Oh, what can I put in with them? And you're like, oh, great. And then he just buys some fish, puts them in his tank, looks at them. And his level of interest and engagement is very low. He just wants a tank because he thinks it's cool. Then there's hobbyist number two. He can tell you exactly what the fish are. He can go, you know, that's a Labidochromus coruleus. That's a Nimbochromus venusus. He at least can rattle out all the proper names. And he has a higher identification with his fish. And you see that he's more engaged and more passionate about them. Mm -hmm. Then a hobbyist number three can not only tell you what the fish is, he can also tell you a little bit about it. Like, for example, he's the person or she or he that was a she, whatever, ends up um, going on um, and learning a bit about each fish. Like, for example, electric blue, very popular cichlid. 
but in the wild they have a really interesting um, um, behavior. So in the wild, a algae-eating fish moves like this, eat algae, eat algae, eat algae, whereas a predator moves very differently. Mm -hmm. So the electric blue has learned that when the fry is swimming around, if he approaches the fry like a predator, they all hide. Whereas if he approaches the fry like an like a algae eater and he's like, salad sucks, this algae's crap, like that, <laughs> and, then, and then he gets close and he pounces and he eats them. That's a pretty cool story. And what people don't realise is that every fish has a story. When you learn the story behind the fish, the fish open up a whole new world of interest. Like the frontosa, for example. Frontosa yeah. is one of the laziest fish on earth. You they live that. on the floor of Lake Tanganyika and they try to exert as little energy as possible. Yes. Most fish will fight to have territory. They'll fight for the right to breed. They'll fight for the right to feed. You know, they're exerting a lot of energy. Not a frontosa. A frontosa sits there, tries to preserve energy, tries to get a big fat lumpy head because the big lump gets all the chicks. And then he uses um, little energy to do anything. He feeds on Cyprochromus species that have three-dimensional territories above him. During the day, a frontosa will never touch a Cyprochromus. During the nighttime, the Cyprochromus come on the floor and sleep. The frontosa waits till they're all asleep. They just punks them off one at a time. Yeah. No one sees it coming. Zero energy. Oh, we got a fluffy frontosa there. There we go. And then even the way a frontosa breeds, a you know your average cichlid will build a nest, will lure the female, will dance, will do all this business. Not a frontosa. A frontosa will basically just look at the female, dump his load, and swim off. <laughs> Zero care. Just like you know, darling, if you want to breed with me, there's my junk. I'm gone. And then she will drop the eggs, pick the eggs up in her mouth, fertilise the eggs with him. He's off. He's gone to the pub already. She's just, And then she will decide whether she wants to breed with him or not. He couldn't care. He's not even hanging around to find out if she does. So all these stories is what brings fish alive. And, and the thing is, too, go, go on sidetracked again, passion. No. Passion. So it's f so funny how often people say to me, oh, you're so lucky. You, you do something you're passionate about. That's a load of crap because I believe that passion is governed by knowledge. The more you learn, the more you identify, the more you enjoy, and the more you're rewarded. So if I reckon I could be this passionate about anything, I could be this passionate about medicine, I could be this passionate about cars. I could be this passionate about astrology. I don't know. Mm. But the key is you got to learn about it. And the more you learn, the more you're rewarded, and the more that subject opens up to you. And that's why I tell people, I'm like, look, if you want to be passionate about it, what about something, just pick anything and just try to learn everything about it. Like I remember oh, before wow. the internet, I used to get like an Ad Connings book or a Julian Sprung book or whatever. And then I used to actually sit there and read the book and take notes on the book 
and then read the notes, take notes on the notes, and memorize the whole book. Admittedly, I had nothing else to do. Like, um, <laughs> not like today where you've got and my kids, man, they've got so much to do, to do with their um, elaborate PCs and their. Yeah, we didn't have any of that. No, we just had books. So we had books and guitars. So like when I was growing up, I used to play guitar, and I used to play like four to seven hours a day. And if I wasn't playing guitar, I'd be reading my fish books or breeding my fish. Um, it's yeah, no, it's awesome. So, so anyone that says to me I'm lucky, I go, well, I'm not lucky. I've just learned a lot about it. And but the problem is the age of, I'm nearly fifty now, so I'm I'm at age now where I re-remember things. So uh. like you you know like you never learn it. You'll never learn everything because you actually forget most of it anyway. And and now now I'm going through life going oh yeah I remember that. yeah I, I used to know that so um if you enjoy learning and you and I mean you've got no excuse now with YouTube I mean there's just so much information because mm-hmm. like so, so so yeah so I had St George aquariums and then I started making VHS videos wow. because when St George aquariums. I got sick of – I learned that there's a bunch of stuff that people need to know. I got sick of saying that to the point where I just couldn't I handle saying that again. So I started making VHS videos, made reef aquarium ones, made cichlid aquarium ones, and instead of telling them about fish, because you give them a book, they're not going to read it. Some do, but reading, the retention's like 5%. Whereas I give them, I found I gave them a video. Back in those days, we used to sell the videos for thirty nine ninety nine. Wow! Which you look back, that's a lot of money. I think they were only costing me about seven bucks for the actual video, and then we did the production of it. I made a lot of money out of it. And so then d- DVDs came out. So then I redid them all again, and I made DVDs, and they were. TV broadcast quality back in those days. Mm-hmm. So it was quite a – if you look on my YouTube channel, Majestic Aquariums TV, and just write DVD, you can watch them all. So oh, I cool. did a first Aquarium and Pond DVD. I did a Tropical DVD. I did a Cichlid DVD. I did I did a, a Marine Aquarium DVD. Um, I did a, an instructional DVD for Red Sea. I did one for Aqua One. I did one for JBL. I've done, like, you know, lots of – you know, because when I, I started becoming the guy that, because I was like the first person really to start making videos and then DVDs on how to keep fish, and then I actually started doing tours around the world, because um, I started a company called Fish Eye Films with um, one of the a cameraman from Channel Nine here in Australia. He was like an award-winning cameraman, and he actually um, um, I see a note here. I have found Paul's videos. Um, yeah, so there's anyway, if you look at, um, you'll find them all online, definitely on Majestic Aquariums. And so then I started touring around the world selling these DVDs. So I'd go to trade shows and, um, you know, meet people. And we, we were selling tens of thousands of copies at a time because we had distributors through UK, Europe. We, we used to sell them through New Zealand. Um, Aqua One used to sell them in New Zealand. And um, we sell them right through America. And then we'd go to the trade shows and promote the DVDs. And then I started doing seminars. So my most 
well-known seminar was my eight-point principles seminar, which basically broke reef keeping into eight points. So basically, let's say you want a reef tank, give someone a big book and expect them to read it all. Um, it's just not realistic. Whereas basically I identified that there's eight things that you sort of got to know and the rest is just detail. Like, for example, let's say someone you want to drive a car and someone gave you a big manual for everything about the car and they gave you a big book of road rules and, um, and, and said, learn all that. It's just not realistic. Whereas if someone said, look, here's your car, water goes in there, petrol goes in there, oil goes in there, don't mess any of them up or you're in trouble, <laughs> uh, away you go. You know what I mean? The rest is, bo- the rest is a bonus. Mm-hmm. So these, um, th- these, th- these seminar really revolutionised for a lot of people because, and that was sort of around the time Finding Nemo came out too. So it suddenly so saltwater fish was just something that everyone failed with. But then I basically identified, you know what? They're actually easy to keep. But there's a couple of things you need to know. You need to know these eight rules, right? If you don't know these eight rules, the rule you don't know is going to stuff you up. But one of the rules is understanding the one, two, three program. And with my saltwater fish and corals at Majestic Aquariums, if you look at or the name of all of our fish, we'll have a one or a two or a three next to it. And this revolutionized fish keeping, as far as I'm concerned. Now, a number one fish means this fish is easy to keep. If it dies, I'm confident that you bring me a sample of water and you bring me a video, I can tell you why it died. Number two means I might not be able to tell you. So you're going to buy this fish. You might do everything right. You know what? It might die. Number three means... It's probably going to die. And I'm probably not going to be able to tell you. So maybe it's got a requirement that's outside of the scope of an aquarium or um, it's just not an easy fish to keep. Mm. And this alone made a massive difference. Because if I send people home with a pajama ras, a, card- uh, a cardinal, um, some clownfish, fish that are easy to keep, then the chance of this hobbyist doing well is actually very high. If I send them home with butterflies and angels and Moorish idols, I have trouble keeping those fish. So good luck. And that's the same with the coral. A lot of coral is very easy to keep. Some, some are hit or miss and some are terrible to keep. So why are we selling them to beginners? we got to sell number ones to beginners and let people know. Don't just come in and choose anything. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that what you're choosing is easy to keep. And more than that, you need to make sure that they are, um, that your aquarium is able to deal with it. And you want to make sure your aquarium's ready. So another big thing with the saltwater I found was discover. Well, well, I found that if we kept one month apart for all of the fish introductions, the fish just went a thousand times better. I, I call it a quarantine period. Ultimately, a quarantine tank is the best, but Mm -hmm. it's not a reality for everyone. So basically what I found is that if I sold fish, customer fish, a few fish, whatever, and tell them, do not put more fish in unless your tank's gone well for a month. 
Mm. If you get white spot or if you have a problem, you fix it, then you start again, one full month. Then you can add fish. And then the other thing I found too is that if you put fish in to higher salinity, it's a major problem because the fish have a osmoregulation system that actually requires a whole lot of energy. And when they catch the fish, they catch it out of like 0.025, whatever the area is, and then they throw it straight into much fresher water and maybe 0.017. Now, the reason why they do that is that suddenly the osmoregulation system isn't having to work very hard, and that means there's more energy available for the immune system. Ah. And most of your pathogens, your bacteria, your pathogens and so forth, they hate the fresh water. So you're creating an environment that's advantageous to the fish and disadvantageous for any um, pathogens, bacteria or parasites that might attack the fish. So does that work the same way with fresh water going with a a high salinity? Because I know a lot of our importers put their new stock into a a high salinity rate of water. It sort of does. Um, Probably not as black and white, but it sort of does. I mean, there's some fish that have less tolerance to salt, but as a generalization, I will absolutely add salt with most of my freshwater fish, especially in a commercial situation. So I find their body slime stronger. I find the osmoregulation better. Um, so, yes, it is, but I don't think it's as standout as it is with the salt. So once again, remember that in 1994, salt water had a very, very bad reputation as being very hard to keep then as I started to work this stuff out, and I mean, I'm not saying I'm the only person that worked this out, but I I worked this out as far as my reality is concerned. I started to learn, you know what, these are the eight rules that work for me. I've since traveled the world doing seminars. I've done seminars right across the world. and And I've been challenged by thousands of people and I still have the same eight principles. So keeping salt water is actually easy but you've got to choose easy fish. If yeah. you're going to get more challenging fish, that's okay, but you've got to know it's a challenge. You've got to be up for that challenge. Keeping corals is very easy, but you need to be up for that. But you need to pick easy coral or you need to be up for the challenge of the more difficult corals. Like, for example, people will come into me and they say, oh, my corals die after a year. So my corals live for a year. I go, no, they don't. Your corals take a year to die because corals, they don't want to die. They only die because there's too much of something or not enough of something. Your corals will die because there's too much light or there's not enough light. There's too much flow or there's not enough flow. There's too much nutrients or there's not enough nutrients. It's all just balance Mm. and understanding balance. Saltwater it's very easy to keep depending what you select. So all these, these things have really what's revolutionized my business. And then I've promoted all these ideas via my videos, then my DVDs. And then when the GFC happened, my DVD sales completely stopped. I went from selling tens of thousands of copies to distributors for distributing right across America and all the rest of it, touring, doing s- seminar tours, going to fish clubs, going to 
Um, I mean, I've, I've done quite a few seminars down in down in um, um, New Zealand, by the way, because I used to sell a lot of DVDs back in New Zealand back in the day, and then and then that's when YouTube appeared, and then everything's free. So I started my YouTube channel in two thousand and nine, and I've now got about forty thousand subscribers. Um, and believe it or not, I have over 10,000 videos. Wow. Yeah, I have over 10,000 instructional videos. Because what I do, and, and I mean, I do this mainly for my own interest. Um, I definitely like the sound of my own voice, which just helps. But I, um, I video everything I do, basically. And then I just upload it. And one of my main motivations for doing that is I actually look back on my old videos and go, oh, look at that guy. You know, like I actually sort of like doing that. And a lot of my customers, tanks that I look after because I do a lot of consultation and stuff. And I like watching the evolution of my customers, tanks, you know. I like mm -hmm. being able to review back and seeing what they've gone through. And, mm -hmm. and it also has really, really helped me with, um, with my own advice. For example... A lot of my day is I go to a customer's house and I've learned that fish keeping is 50% water quality. Everyone talks about water quality, water quality, right? I reckon water quality is half of it. That what matters, the other half is nutrition. What people don't realise is that most fish food is processed crap in a can. Mm. It's pressure cooked, it's processed. And if you look at half the ingredients in the fish food, it's either not meant to be for aquatic animals or it's poisonous or it's potentially poisonous. If you read the label of most of your commercially available fish foods, there's no way you'd feed it to your fish. Now, how I learned this is I go to one customer, I test the water, it's terrible, but the fish are fine. They're swimming around, they're going great. Now, mind you, if, if that same person went and bought a brand new fish and put it in a tank, like let's say I tell all my customers never, ever buy a fish unless you bring me a sample of water, you let me test it, and you bring me a video of your tank running. And in the video, I want to see any bits and pieces you've got to. I want to see your fish food. I want to see what's going on with your tank. I will then sell you a fish, and that fish will go well. But if you bring me a water sample and your water's acid or your kh is through the roof or whatever it is i'll send you home you fix that you come back and then we'll talk about getting a fish but so often so often i go to someone's house i'm looking at a whole beautiful tank of fish they're healthy they look healthy because i mean immune systems go down and that's something mm -hmm. people don't understand too fish immune systems go down fish immune systems go down fish immune systems go down, go down, go down boom they die and people are like, oh, but my fish look fine. Of course they look fine because a fish puts all of their energy into looking good because if they don't look good, the other fish kill them. Mm. So if they can trick each other, then they can trick you. You can't tell if your fish are sick. You can't tell if your fish are unhealthy. You can only tell if they're about to die because, once again, fish put they'll do everything they can to look good because if they don't, they'll get killed by each other. So as far as my job's concerned, I go to one person's house, fish look great, I test the water, it's terrible. I look in the cupboard, good quality food.
Now, what we want, we want either cold extruded, we want um, slow cooked, we want holistic. We don't want heaps of chemicals. We don't want pressure cooked. We don't want, you know, like most flake food, you shouldn't be feeding this to your fish. It's just processed mammy noodle crap. Mm -hmm. uh, two foods that I am very biased. I'm biased for many reasons, but I'm very biased towards two foods. One is Danichi. I think if you just want beautiful, healthy fish, I don't think you can beat Danichi. I think it's the best food I've ever come across is the healthiest and the best food. I'm also a massive fan of New Life Spectrum, particularly the probiotics. Now, the probiotic from New Life Spectrum, I, I think it's amazing. I do a lot of doctors and dentists and so forth. So let's say there's a dentist. He's got a four-foot cichlid tank. He's got way too many fish in there. He does absolutely nothing except feed them. I go there once a month. I water change it. I look after it. I do a gravel clean, and my white bucket is disgusting. Mm. I open up his filter. It is gross. It stinks. Then I get them onto probiotics food, chuck out their whatever they had, get them onto probiotics. Within one month, it's definitely improved. Within two months, that same tank with the same fish, I'm gravel cleaning it. The bucket's clean. I can see the bottom of the bucket. It's white. I open up the filter. It's actually clean. I don't even have to clean it. And that's because the probiotic food from New Life Spectrum has very, very high quality ingredients. And most of all is it's got the probiotic bacteria in it. Now, the probiotic bacteria means that when the fish poo, the bacteria in the poo physically eats the poo. So obviously the waste is going to break down into um, um, dissolved gases and so forth. But how much cleaner it keeps your tank, I don't, you won't believe until you try it. So I've now learnt over the years that if I feed 80, 70, 80% New Life Spectrum's probiotics and then I feed, you know, sort of 20% Danichi and I always go for Danichi colour, then that's the best combination because then I'm enjoying the clean of the probiotics but I'm also getting just that extra glisten that the that the Danichi gives me. So Danichi is the slow cooked food. It's holistic and new life spectrum is cold extruded. And I just don't like, once again, I'm biased for many reasons. Um, but I just believe that that combination of food, if you, if you do that for two months, how healthy your fish are and how resilient they are, you know, like I'm talking my customers that I do that with, um, they, th things can go wrong and the fish are completely fine. Like their immune systems are just amazing. And I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, but you need to feed variety. You need this and you need that. Well, you don't really, because number one is fish don't get bored. Like people are like, oh, I like to feed my fish all these different foods. And I'm like, that's cool. That's what you like. But the fish, they don't have this gear called, Oh, I'm bored of this food. That's just not how they work. And then if you look at, say, New Life Spectrum, for example, all so many different ingredients and it's already all in there. So like, you could say, I'm going to feed krill this day, I'm going to feed this that day. 
it doesn't make any difference. It's already in there. Like, like you're already feeding a variety of food by feeding a high quality food. So, mm. I mean, I'm really a big believer that fish keeping is 50% water quality and 50% nutrients. So, um, even with the salt water, I also get into ICP tests. So, you've got your main test, right? So, you've got ammonia, first degree fish waste, nitrite, second degree fish waste. Nit- and, and those two are really governed by how effective your filter is. So if you have good redox potential, you have plenty of oxygen, you have plenty of biological media, then your ammonia and nitrite should be covered, providing you're stocking the tank slowly. And, and providing that you have a good media like marine pure, then you, that should never be a problem again. Now, the next thing is denitrification. So your nitrates will build up if you're running nitrifying medias. Now, the only media in my belief, which offers true denitrification and has truly done the research, is Marine Pure. So Marine Pure was um, was founded by a company called Nanodynamics, which spent millions of dollars to work out um, the ratios of surface area to volume space to allow the formation of denitrifying bacteria without the formation of hydrogen sulfide. So... With your denitrification, if you start getting bad denitrifying bacteria, you end up with hydrogen sulfide, which is which is the root of old tank syndrome, which is something else that I'm more than happy to talk about. And then old tank syndrome is something that kills many people's tanks and they mm-hmm. don't realise. So within their gravel or whatever, they can start forming these bad bacteria. This, this anoxic bacteria, it's discharged hydrogen sulfide and it either slowly goes off into the tank and sort of kills off your corals and fish, or if you disturb it all, it is possible to release it all at once and kill everything. And I've, I've done this. I've actually been in literally in ponds or in tanks where I go there as an expert. I rearrange their tank. I release hydrogen sulfide. I watch all this fish die right in front of my face. Um, so polyfilter, that helps to remove hydrogen sulfide, so I always keep that on hand just in case this happens and I need to quickly filter the water because it will remove it. Um, But basically trying to make sure that your sand is not going stagnant for long periods of time. But what Marine Pure is, is it's got a certain surface area to volume ratio to allow denitrification. Now, Samco currently own Marine Pure and they've done testing on the claims of nearly all of your other commercially available media. And basically, the long and short of it is the research and development budget of an aquarium-based um, industry or business is basically zero. And the claims that are made on these major brands are absolutely nothing near, I mean, like completely more or completely less than what is which is reality, to the point where there's no way they've done any more than look at Marine Pure and guess. There's no way they've done the research. So Marine Pure was created for the waste industry, um, which is a, a real industry as far as the aquarium industry is concerned. And then the other, my other one of my other main favourite products is Polyfilter. And the reason why I love real Polyfilter, um, actually I've got two. I got a really good story about Marine Pure. I was in um, maybe New York at one of the conferences. And a guy came up to me, his name was Robert, and he's like, do you, do you reckon that there's any out of it? Because I was doing a seminar. And he came up to me and goes, do you reckon there's any reason 
for a media which offers parallel denitrification without hydrogen sulfide. I'm like, are you joking? At that time, we, we'd be, that's when we were doing like, um, um, Bob Goman was doing the steep sand beds and the plenums and we were doing everything to try to harness, how do we get rid of nitrate without um, hydrogen sulfide? And I'm like, we've, we've been trying to do this forever. And he's like, well, we've spent millions of dollars on this media. And originally it was called Reef Fresh. And so um, I said, absolutely. I started selling it in Australia as Reef Fresh, Reef Fresh. And then that company ended up going bust during the GFC. And then one of the employees bought all the equipment and started a company called Samco, who now have, and, and he changed it to Marine Pure. So Marine Pure is a real, you know, it's really all the science is behind it. It does your nitrifying, denitrifying bacteria. And Australia was the first country to start really selling it. So I don't know how they're going in America, but in Australia, it's, it's really a predominant product. So I introduced it to Australia after that conversation. And then... Another and then Polyfilter, which is one of my other favorite products. I was doing a seminar in, um, in I think I was in Chicago, and I was talking all about Polyfilter. And this old guy stands up, and he's like, "Oh, I know a little bit about Polyfilter." And I'm like, "Okay." And he goes, uh, oh, "My name, my name's Ken. I, I invented it." And I'm like, "Okay." And he did, and basically told me a story about how. He was sitting in his lounge room in like the 70s or something like that. And he was head of a biological, a, a medical research company. And he invented this media for human blood transfusions. Wow. So yeah. you could actually pump blood out of a human, put it through this media, and it would take everything that you don't want in the blood out and it would leave everything you do want in the blood in. And then it would go back into the person again. And then one day, and obviously like, he spent millions and millions of dollars creating this media, and he would sell the little pads for like hundreds of dollars to the hospitals. And then he's like, apparently one day he's sitting in his um, lounge room looking at his fish tank, thinking, how cool would it be if I could do a transfusion on my fish tank? Then he went to work, did a whole bunch of study, used all the same equipment and machinery, and just changed the ratios of whatever he did and then produced polyfilter, which is basically for transfusions of a fish tank. So you can pump water through the marine pure. The marine pure will remove everything you don't want and leave in solution everything you do want. It'll change colour to tell you what it's absorbing and it will turn to black to tell you it's finished. It's an absolutely amazing media. And what it's really good for too is accumulants. So... When you're new to the hobby and you're changing heaps of water, accumulants aren't really a problem. But as you get more experienced and life gets busy, you're not wanting to do water changes all the time. And if suddenly you're able to manage your nitrate levels because of marine pure, and suddenly you're able to um, manage your debris through probiotics food, and then suddenly you're able to have a problem called accumulants. So accumulants are just things that accumulate in the aquarium and they're generally things that we don't really know about, we can't really test uh, and they just they just build up and then they have consequences 
a lot that we don't understand. So polyfilter is wonderful for that because it removes all your accumulants. But in saying that, I am also a fan of ICP tests. So let's say that I have a reef aquarium that I look after and it's going great. You know, I test all the levels. Ammonia, nitrate's great. Nitrate's great. KH is great. Um, um, calcium and phosphate's great. You know, all the normal things. Magnesium's good. Everything's good. But it's still not pumping. I'll send off an ICP test to Triton, and then Triton will send back a, a report with heaps and heaps of tests. I don't even understand most of them. You just look through and you look out, look out for the red colours. And you go, oh, my molybdenum level's zero. Oh, cool. And then you can either just do a whole bunch of water changes or you, you now know what your potential problem is. And it fine-tunes a lot of what we don't know that we don't know. Yeah. So, so often, let, let's say I'm running a reef tank, even every three months, just send off an ICP test. And it might come back good. But on the other hand, you might find that the supplements you're using are doubling up of, of Baron or whatever, something that, you know, that isn't in our average everyday thing. So I, I'm a very big fan of ICP tests, particularly for saltwater tanks. There's value in freshwater tanks, um, but particularly with the saltwater tanks. Because once again, as far as I'm concerned, if your corals or your plants or whatever, if they're not growing, they're dying. And so if you just understand that they're, they're dying because there's too much of something or not enough of something, then the game is to understand that. What, what is there too much of or not enough of? Like, for example, plants, they're exactly the same. They want not too much light, but they need to have enough light. They, they need flow, but not too much flow. You know, they need CO2, but not too much CO2. Mm -hmm. You know, it, they want nutrients, but not too much nutrients. It's all about balance. Mm. So when you're understanding that, and, and the idea is you make it a game. It's, you know, it's really interesting and fun when you understand the levers to turn. Do you know what I mean? So all this stuff has been a huge part of Majestic Aquariums and what Majestic Aquariums is. So you can now go on Majestic Aquariums on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or Facebook and and I'm just putting out clippets of information all the time. You can watch the more complete things by watching the DVDs or seminars. They're all available on Majestic Aquariums TV. Um, and the, so I guess a big passion of mine has been constantly learning and then constantly trying to simplify the learning. Because the other thing is that when I used to go and do seminar tours, most of my seminars would have 120 people there particularly pre-internet, I'd go and do a seminar, the whole place is packed and people are there just to hear me talk about fish because that really wasn't a thing back in those days. Yeah. There was no cruising around teaching you about fish and it was like a big event for everyone and it really was a lot of fun and just trying to dumb down, like there'd be scientists that would go and talk about stuff but your average person doesn't even know what he's talking about. So if you can present it in a way that's animated, entertaining and simple, it is really what, what it was all about for me. Do you still do that? Well, to be honest, since COVID, I haven't done it. Um, but 
I think TikTok has become a bit dominant now. Mm. So, so basically, I'm producing generally several TikTok videos a day um, so because TikTok has exploded because people's attention doesn't exist anymore. No, like these things, uh, which absolutely worries me moving forward because the kids these days. Their ability to, um, to, they're so resourceful. Mm. If they have a computer in front of them, they can tell you anything in an instant. But the problem is when the computer's not there, they just got no idea. Mm. Like, which worries me. Like, for example, I put on staff. You put on, I had a young kid up, up here, right? And then I'm up putting a cabinet together. He wouldn't have a damn clue how to do that. And then I'm like, oh, go down and get me a Phillips head. And he just stood there looking at me. And I'm like, go give me a Phillips head. And he's like, who's Philip? <laughs> the 18 dude. How do you get to 18 years of age and you've never come across a Phillips head? What what next you're gonna say who's Alan? You know, like <laughs> right. you're gonna send him for a long stand. It's I mean it's like uh, it's anyway, that, that's a, that's another story, but but um it's all about little clippings of information now. So mm -hmm. I used to make big long productions, but now it's all about a headline and an explanation. So TikTok is by far you, YouTube has really lost like I used to make a lot of money out of YouTube, but they keep changing their algorithms, so I'm making less and less money. Um so I don't do that well with Instagram, I think that's all about tits and ass. Um, I do pretty well with um, with TikTok. Um, I've never. I think. I think TikTok's much. I think um, Twitter's much more about Donald Trump and stuff like that. I I don't do that well with um, with Twitter, but right now the one with the most traction seems to be TikTok. So I basically produce a lot of TikTok footage and then I'll copy that onto YouTube. So if you go on my – I think YouTube is the best though, but the, the ads just kill people these days. Yeah. You often sit through 30 seconds of ads just to watch a bloody YouTube video and a lot of people, their attention span has gone. So um, for now it's all about – it's about TikTok for me now. Yeah. And no, I haven't done seminars, but – I've got. I'm bringing. Do you know Joey? Um, yeah. Um, from DI, King of DIY. Yeah. So I'm bringing him to Australia soon. Oh, I've seen him post about that. Yeah, he said he was coming over. Yeah. So we're um, we're bringing him. We're, so we're funding all that via the PIAA. Cool. And just as a boost for hopefully for Australia, Australian pet fish keeping. Oh, actually, I don't think I'm supposed to tell anyone that yet. But <laughs> I'm um, pretty sure he's announced it. Uh, what's that? Yeah, I'm sure he mentioned it. He mentioned he was coming over to Australia. Okay, okay, well, that's good. Then I'll blame him. Yeah. So <laughs> we're bringing him out for the pet show. Um, and then we're going to take him around to a bunch of aquarium shops, including mine. Cool. And you really try to use his charisma and his following to try to promote the Australian pet um, aquarium industry as much as possible. So once again, there's some, there's some pretty major threats to the aquarium industry right now, but having a good, strong pet industry association is what protects us. 
because once again, the politicians, they don't care. All they care about, number one, is how it makes them look mm-hmm. and how much effort it's going to be. For example, the PIAA gets submissions all the time about things that the politicians want to do. Most of the time, you just send back a really reasonable um, reply for why they shouldn't do that, and then you never hear of it again. But the thing is, if there's not a strong PIAA and those emails are not being answered, this is a problem. And, I mean, that's why I get so frustrated when people are like, oh, I'm not joining the PIAA, what does it do for me? The fact you can sell fish means that it does everything for you. The PIAA has stopped, like they were going to stop goldfish. Um, they were going to stop all live bearers. They were going to stop guamis. They were going to stop all cichlids. They were going to stop aquatic plants. They were going to stop, recently they actually tried to stop all frozen foods. Um, there's so many things that have been fought by the PIAA. And if there was no PIAA, they would not have the business they have today. And that's why it frustrates me when people in the industry are like, oh, what does it do for me? It's not there to do anything for you. It's there for the industry. Yeah. But everyone's got to look at the big picture. They've got to look at the industry and go, you know what? It's our industry. Let's own it. Exactly. If there's a rule that doesn't make sense, let's change it. Let's not just sit around and go, oh, why can't we import this? Why don't we put submissions in and get it imported? And let's not just listen to their stupid crap that they come up with. So you can okay. see this is, why, this is why I don't talk in the um, in the meetings. I leave that to Anthony. I get, I get very distracted and I get very... Um, I get, yeah, so, so he, he's much better. He's much more controlled than I am. Um, I start going off. But, yeah, so... I really encourage everyone in the industry, whether you be a hobbyist, if you're a hobbyist, you can join the PIAA as an associate member. Mm-hmm. If you're a business, a retailer, a breeder, uh, if you're anything, then you can't just leave the protection and advocacy of the industry to other people. You've got to take um, it yourself. Because- Kong, sorry, Kong's is an Australian brand which deal with um, like Act One and stuff like that because the only reason I'm aware that there's a pet industry association in New Zealand is because it's even on the bottom of their invoices. Okay. Uh, are, they, are they as involved in Australian one as well? Well, yeah, well, see, Kongs are a big supporter of the pet industry association. So, when, so, and they've always been very proactive and very involved. Um, they were always front and centre of all of our trade shows and all our various events. Um, they're very good industry advocates. Um, when the PIAA lost its way, the Kongs pulled out. So did Pet Pacific. So did we lost almost all of our backing because some very bad decisions were made through the PIAA, and it lost the support of the industry. Now, and to the point where it was advised by the auditors one year to close. Anyway, it had a office worth a million dollars. They sold that. They used all the money on ineffective staff. Anyway, when I got involved, um, we, rip, we ripped the whole thing apart. Anthony Ramsey 
Um, full credit to him. And we've turned it around. As of this year, it's now making a profit. It was losing almost $200,000 a year in losses just through mismanagement. Mm -hmm. But now it's being managed very, very well. Uh, and basically we need everyone in Australia to come back on board. Um, we've got all the major players back now. Pet Pacific's back. Kong's are back. Um, so we've done a lot of work. We've turned it around. It is now profitable. But once again, when you're dealing with these politicians, smoke and mirrors or perception is everything. If they think they're coming against a strong, well-funded, um, ready-to-fight organisation, they back down because they, they want to pass things easy. They don't yeah. want to put a lot of effort in. And, for example, in Australia, the Animal Justice Party decided in their wisdom that they're going to pass a law that says if you have six dogs, you need a full-time staff member. Now, just to give you an idea, aged care is something like one per 13. Children <laughs> is something like one per 30. And dogs were one per 50. Now, we've negotiated down um, from the help of John Grimer from Kellyville Pets and the Pet Industry Association. We've raised literally hundreds of thousands of dollars and fought this through the courts, um, fought it through public perception, and we're basically winning. So... As it stands, the negotiation is going to go from one per 50 to one per 30, which the industry says, you know what, it sucks, but it's, it's, we can have a business with this. Imagine a dog hotel if they need one full-time staff member per six dogs. It's just mm, like, it means every single company would trade illegally and they wanted to put more um, emphasis on the policing of this. So they want to make it a big revenue-raising thing and it would destroy the whole industry. And if they destroy the dogs, don't think they're not going to come after fish. You bet they're going to come after fish. So the Pet Industry Association is currently fighting this fight and it is currently winning. Um, we're currently um, discussing the grey list and we're fairly confident, but we'll wait and see how that goes. There's also quarantine laws that we're involved in including getting um, aquacultured fish allowed to be imported into Australia. So currently it's illegal to import an aquacultured fish. Why? If we can prove it's aquacultured, why can't we bring it in here? What's the, the environmental threat on something that's aquacultured? So there's a whole lot of stuff. That, so the thing is you've got to have a strong association. And I really believe New Zealand, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. Because I know you've got a whole bunch of dumb laws. Somebody right. made those dumb laws up. And it's up to you guys to get your act together, get together, get behind a strong association, find a smart, good-looking um, figurehead like Anthony Ramsey and get this stuff changed. You've mm. got to own your industry. You've got to be in control of it. And the only way this is going to happen is united United, we all, you know, we stand. Divided, we all fall. I mean, even that's another thing. I'm getting sidetracked again. I, I got 
the privilege of getting to sit down and, and read the Master Pet study. Master Pet spent something like, a, I'm going to say a million bucks, could be 50 bucks, but who cares. Uh, um, I'm not a details guy, by the way. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big picture guy. So quote me all you want, um, but my, but I'm a, I'm a big picture. Just get the idea with what I'm saying more than the figures. Anthony, he's great for details. And by the way, my wife's a lawyer. So, well, he'll yeah, so like I tell stories which to harness the story and um, I try not to let facts, you know, get too much in the way of my, the direction of my story. And my wife would be, nah, that was a Wednesday, you know, like she's so, her mind is unbelievably good for details. And so is Anthony's, by the way. So you've got to surround yourself with, um, with people with different strengths. But, but anyway, so I got to sit down and read this study that Master Pet spent a huge amount of money on. And in some area, let's say Melbourne, right, all the aquarium shops hate each other. They don't work together. In Sydney, which I'd like to claim some responsibility for, true, true or not, um, we all work together. We're all friends. But the thing is that when you actually, when I got to read this Master Pet study, basically there was two main parts to the study. The first part was, why would someone think about getting a fish? And there's all these percentages. I watched Finding Nemo. My friend had one. I went to the Great Barrier Reef. I went to Sydney Aquarium. All these different reasons why they think about getting a fish. And then there was why did they get a fish? And it was something like 60% was I was standing in an aquarium shop. Mm. I was looking at an aquarium that I could imagine in my home. So the most important thing about um, uh, having a retail shop is having a beautiful display tank, not in a system, but... Yeah, standalone. They can imagine it. So you've got, to have it, you, you've got to have it in, like, just so they go, oh, I can imagine that at my house. Yeah. That's the most important thing. Then the next thing they worked out is, why would someone think about getting rid of tank? The kids moved out. Um, uh, um I got sick of it. There are all these reasons why they'd think about getting rid of a tank. The and then the reason why they'd get rid of it, and it was something like 60%, was I had a problem and I didn't know who to go to to help me fix mm -hmm. the problem. Now, so if you're an aquarium shop, I honestly believe that you tell all your customers, if you have a problem, you come and see me with a sample of water and a video of the tank running. And I want to see all your bits and pieces. What's the quality of the fish food? What's this? What's that? Are you feeding processed crap? Um, I, I actually I didn't finish that last story just quickly. Is I go to people's houses. One person has got a tank with beautiful fish and terrible water. Then I open the cupboard and sure enough, there's the food. Denichi or, you know, that's how I find out what the quality of food's like. Then I go to the very next house and all their fish are dying, and I test the water, it's nowhere near as bad as the first person, but I open up the cupboard and there's cheap crap. So that over, you know, like 30 years of consultations makes me learn what are the good foods and are, are one of the reasons why I'm biased towards certain foods. Um, so that aside. So basically, if you want to have a good business, you need to have amazing display tanks. Obviously, you need a clean shop, you need it well presented you need it well priced you need it clean that that's a whole nother seminar i could do on how to have a good aquarium business 
that I've had mine since 1999. And so therefore, um, having display tanks that people can imagine in their home, and then also um, being able to offer advice so as people can come to you and all they want to know if they've lost their fish, they just want to know why and how they can make sure it doesn't happen again. So if you go, hey, look, dude, all your fish died, that's your problem. Don't do that again and your fish will be fine. They'll be upset. They'll fix it. They'll come back and buy fish. So it's the aquarium shops that start the business mm. and it's the aquarium shops that keep the business. Now, the next part of the study that MasterPet did is they actually mapped out where all of the customers are. Now, another friend of mine who um, runs, um, I, I, I shouldn't say the name, but the, the main fish online thing, he also verifies this by saying where there's a good aquarium shop is where most of his customers are. And this guy ships fish right over Australia, but basically he found that all of the good areas are where the good shops are. And that's not a co coincidence. You put a good shop there, that, that's where all the customers become. So what he found is, let's say there's two areas. Let's say one is Lismore and one's Goulburn. It probably wasn't knowing me, but let's say that those two. And they both got the same access to the internet. They both got pet barn and pet stock. They both, you know, they've both got every, they both got the same socioeconomic outlook, except one area has a good aquarium shop. Now, in the area with a good aquarium shop, 17% of the population keep fish. In the area without a good aquarium shop, 2% of the population keep fish. Now, that is the scope of how important aquarium shops are. It's unbelievable. And mm. your, big, your big box pet shops, they're not cutting it. It's someone with passion and real knowledge yeah. that cuts it. So if you, if you want to grow the industry, you all work together. Now, the other thing they found is 20 minutes is how far people are prepared to travel for a regular aquarium shop. So if you have my shop and one 20 minutes away and one 20 minutes away and one 20 minutes away and one 20 minutes away, you've got a healthy area because the people an hour away, they'll come and visit me occasionally and they'll buy stuff occasionally, but I, they're not, I'm not their regular point of service. And only a very small percentage, something like 9 or 10%, will rely online. Most people still want to come into the aquarium shop. They want to look at the fish. They mm. want the relationship with the staff. They want that experience. And mind you, if the shop closes down, you cannot believe how many end up giving their tank away. For example, when, when St. George Aquarium's closed, which was my old shop, and that's maybe 20 minutes away from my shop, right? I was rubbing my hands together going, whoo, 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 this is going to be great. That massive shop is closed because um, they sold the land, uh, they closed down. Laurie and Carol re retired. That was a fabulous business. And I sat there going, ooh, I'll pick out my Ferrari now. <laughs> anyway, my increase in business was zero. Zip none. They wow. closed. It made no impact on me. And I was only 20 minutes away. Now, the funny thing is, then years on, I have customers to this day 
that live in this area even. And they're like, oh, wow, how long has this place been here? I'm like, 20 years, 25 <laughs> years. And they're like, oh, I used to have a fish tank. And you're like, oh, what happened? Oh, my shop closed down and I, 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 I just never, I just, you know, they just end up getting rid of their tank. And you're like, wow. well, what about Google or something, you know? Like, they, they just don't. You know, they have a relationship with the shop. The shop closes down and they end up packing their tank away. Yeah. And it, it doesn't even hobby. What's part that? Of the hobby, part of the fun of the hobby was going on a Saturday morning or whenever and enjoying the company of the staff, sharing your progress with them, sharing your stride. That is like a miniature of micro fish club. 100%. And, yeah, that, and that happens per shop, you know. They yeah. come in, they say hello to the staff, they feel like they're part of the family. And when that goes, it's like they're on their own, you know. It, it's so aquarium shops, um, they it's my belief that they build the industry and aquarium shops keep the industry. So, aquarium I mean. Shops are like pubs. What's that? They're like pubs. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people just start drinking at home from the pub shops. Yep, yeah. And then the other thing is that, that the aquarium shops should all be working together and they should be friends. Because you see, they got to realize that each other, you know, it, you're sure you don't want someone next door, right? You know, but if someone else is respectfully away from your business, work with them, create a niche that they're not doing, you know. And I really believe that everyone should be getting involved in their association. They should be um, an accountable for the protection of their industry and they should not be accepting the status quo they should be driving their industry driving and setting your laws and all getting together and making this happen via a powerful association that's fair call absolutely fair call so are we almost out of time or what was your plan there uh, i've still got half now okay yeah Pl plenty of time so no dramas here whatsoever um Something that I sort of prepared prior to this is um, people obviously often consider aquarium being quite difficult, particularly um, for new audiences. What, what do you think the key to success is for new people getting into aquariums? Okay, so basically what the people getting into aquariums have to realise is that, number one, you need the right equipment for, for the species you're trying to keep and you need the right advice. So basically... Um, I tell my customers, look, do whatever you want. Like, learn as much as you want, but come in and see us. Don't go doing stuff that we haven't told you to do because you can't put forward parts in a Holden. So everyone has got their own way of doing things, right? But if I'm going to be your primary educator, just hit me up with an email. Have a chat with me. Make sure that what you're doing is in line with the way we do things because everyone's got their own sort of system and there's more than one way to skin a cat, you know what I mean? Like I've got my ways that I run a reef aquarium and if you try what someone else did, maybe in their system that sort of works. But I think you need to find an advisor that number one, you trust mm -hmm. and number two, you think actually gives a shit, someone that cares about you, you know, someone that actually wants you to, to, to um, thrive. So yeah. I think building a relationship with the correct accurist, someone that cares and someone that knows, 
And I think beginners have got to get that fish don't just die. Your corals, they don't just die. They only die for a reason. And you've got to be in that mind of understanding the reason. And then look, telling beginners too to watch their fish actively. So what I mean is don't just watch it swim around. Watch it with wonder. Wonder what it's doing. Wonder why it's doing it. And then try to understand why is it doing that. And then sometimes learning more about the species, you go, ah, oh, that's why he's doing that. You know, you can start learning about the, the, the wild relevance for various aquarium behaviours, for example. And um, the more you learn, the more you enjoy. So I always, when I get a new customer, I'll often send them my hints email, which I'm more than happy to do for anyone. If someone emails me at Majestic Aquariums, I can send them my hints email. I've got one for ponds one for tropical aquariums, one for cichlid aquariums, and one for reef aquariums. And that has the seminar. It has a series of videos. It has the actual DVDs. And then there's like, it says lighting, and there's a video all about lighting. Fertilizer, a video all about fertilization. So if you make learning enjoyable and you make learning easy and you find someone you trust, then I think that... um. Well, I think fish keeping is really, really easy, but it's really a matter of either creating an environment that's right for the species you want, or it's a matter of getting species that are right for the environment you have. Yeah. So there are two ways of, of looking at it, and you can't win them all. No. So I think beginners have got to realise that keeping fish can be very, very, very easy. Like, I mean, I've got tanks that I've hardly touched in a year and they're thriving, but you need quality food, you need good quality water. And if you enjoy learning and you create a format that allows you to be interested in learning, then um, I think it's a wonderful hobby. And, and I think you've got to share your hobby. I don't think this is a hobby that you just sit in there and just look at your fish. I think you need to build your own. Like, for example, at school, this is not a lie, right? There was the basketball players, there was the football dudes, there was the behind there smoking dudes, there was the um, the library nerds, and we and the fish guys. We were we were a recognised group. Like we actually had a, um, a a little group of people, and at lunchtime we we talked about fish. Like we were the fish nerds, but to us we were the fish cool dudes. Um, yeah. um... I've sponsored a few fish tanks in science departments in high schools. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I've done a lot of that. I've discovered some schools have actually got fish clubs established awesome. in them, which I found immense. Awesome. Awesome. Mm. Yes, yeah, so beginners, beginners surrounding themselves in other people that like fish Yeah. and just keep learning. And, and don't go thinking learning is hard. Learning's fun, especially with YouTube and find some great channels and you know, watch, you know, you might be inspired by one of Joey's channels. You might learn something from one of my channels. Um, and, and don't think it's hard. Like, don't go into this world where it's hard. Oh, I have to clean the glass. Well, get a catfish, you idiot. You know, like, like there's an easy way of doing everything. And the more you learn, the more you um, are rewarded and the more you enjoy it. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, the more... In depth, the more involved you get into it, that's where 
where magic really begins to happen. It can be yeah, as complicated so as you want it to be. Basically. Yeah, that's right. So you can make. I mean, some of the people have got all the gear with no idea. Like I get some customers that come in and they buy all the fancy stuff, but they just don't have a damn clue what they're doing. You know, just because you've got a fancy skimmer, it doesn't mean it's tuned well and it's working. You know, like understanding the basics and just enjoying that journey is is absolutely everything. And but the other thing is, you've just got to really aim to do it right the first time. Like you've got to really understand that you're either very restricted by what you've got or you just – if you're going to buy a protein skimmer, get the best one you can. Don't buy a crap one. You can end up with crap results. If you're going to buy fish food, don't buy crap fish food. There's a lot of crap fish food out there. Do a little bit of research. What, what, what is a good fish food? Mm -hmm. I, I so what, what would you consider to be a crap food or what are some of the – Nearly all of them. Things inside of it that make it Okay. So once again, a lot of your fish food, if you actually Google the ingredients, a lot of it is either completely inappropriate for aquatic animals or poisonous or potentially poisonous. So most commercially available fish foods, and I'll be very unpopular by saying this, is just processed crap in a can. As I said, I am biased in every way um, and biased before I had commercial interest, by the way, in Denichian New Life Spectrum. So I'm not saying that they are the only fish foods that there are, but I am saying that they're almost they're like that. They're, they're really a league of their own. Yeah. So... Once again, it's really a matter of you seeing what works for you too. So I can tell you now the, the difference between a good quality food and even with your new life spectrum, I'm, the, I'm probiotics all the way. I think, um, I think that's a league of its own. And, and once again, you've got to find what works for you. So for me, Denichian probiotics is my absolute go-to, and that's regardless of fish. So I will feed, like for example, Pablo Tabat from New Life Spectrum did a whole lot of research into what he puts in the fish worth once he come out of the fish. And what he found was actually quite phenomenal is that the ratio of what they actually absorb is pretty much the same. So, you know, you think, oh, you need to feed a lionfish lots of protein. That's rubbish. A lionfish will process huge amounts of protein to try and extract the vitamins. And then they're like, oh, you need to feed a tang heaps of green stuffs. Well, no, you don't. Because the vitamins and so forth is abundant, so it just all comes out the other end, and they're grabbing for those little bits of protein. So also making sure your foods are not fully digestible is important. So like with your cheap flake food, it's all digested in the very first half. The rest of the um, digestive system is working on nothing, whereas Danichi's got things like clay and so forth in it, which makes sure that the whole system is getting flushed out. Oh. So... Um, once again, I, I have absolute bias in every way for those two particular foods. But um, as far as um, um, as far as you're concerned, it's really a matter of you picking a food and you looking at your own results. So you can go online and get heaps of reviews. But the other thing too, you've got to remember is a lot of online is you can't believe everything you read because yeah, a, lot of a lot of companies actually pay like someone in India or whatever to sit there and just 
on all different servers, go and give it all. Like you just can't trust everything. A lot of it you trust is your own. You you either gotta um, um, trust, you know, get advice from somebody you trust, and someone that cares to tell you the answer, mm-hmm. or just try it. And if you're super happy with your fish and they're super healthy, and that's where Facebook's so great too, because a lot of my customers, they'll be like, oh, but my fish are perfect. I'm like, really? They take photos of them and then they'll change to, say, Danichi, for example, and then they look at the photo from two months ago and they go, shit, look how much better they are now. Like uh, photographs are great for that because you don't notice that they're slowly getting better, but you look at the photo and go, wow, look at this photo. Do you know what I mean? Um it's 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 really a a um a big a big point. Mm. What else were I going to say? Uh, we had uh, Rochelle. What are the top five ingredients to look for? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking for holistic, and I'm looking for aquatic. So don't feed like like you know. There's there's lots of good ingredients like mice shrimp. Um, 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 there's like Atlantic salmon and all these other really good ingredients, but there's no, I don't have a five set ingredients because that would also depend on what the fish is. But what I'm looking for, I don't want much terrestrial plant because terrestrial chloroplast and that can't really be broken down by fish. I don't want mammalian products because issues with um, fatty livers and kidneys and so forth. I want to feed aquatic foods to my aquatic animals and um i want a good range so if you look at something like new life spectrum it's got so many ingredients in there and as i was saying with pablo he tested what he what goes in the food versus what comes out of the food and what he found which was unbelievable is that predators omnivores or all fish are essentially omnivores but herbivores what they extract is pretty much the same with all the different fish. So you can actually feed one fish, one food to all fish because it's how they process the food or how they actually um, manipulate their environment to occupy niches to allow them for what they can actually feed on. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm really just looking for good quality aquatic um, foodstuffs. You've brought up um, holistic a couple of times from talking about food. I've never heard holistic when it comes to fish feeding. What, is, what so, yeah, does that mean to you? You've got to realise that so much of the ingredients that's in, let's say, cheap flake food is all byproducts. So yeah, it's right. basically just the crap with very little nutrient. So technically it's in there, mm. but it's just the crap. It's not a holistic, like you're not getting the good part of the salmon. You're getting the innards. You're getting, you know. Uh, and then the other thing too that I've learned about the fish food industry is that so much of it's unregulated. So, yeah. so what happens is typically the first things you read have the highest ratio. So when they submit their, their or or you know justify even just to themselves, they actually use wet product in the good quality stuff and dry product in the non good product stuff and then they justify either to themselves or whatever they've done for what their ratios are and in reality you could just have wet byproduct 
of a good name and then a chemical or whatever you're, you're doing dry. So the ratios are just, it, it's just untrustable. But the other thing too, is that when you meet the manufacturers of the food, let's say you meet Darius from um, Danichi or you meet Pablo from New, New Life Spectrum, these guys live and breed, live and breathe fish food. You know, their whole business is completely fueled by pride. Whereas if you look at most of the major labels, it's all about return to investor. How much can we create a perceived value? How much can we make sure the fish eat it and people keep buying it? And how cheap can we put stuff in there? Mm. And how much profit can we make? Mm. And most of your big brands, they're completely profit-driven. And once again, when you speak to someone um, that runs these companies that are completely pride-driven, you, you understand the motivation behind their food. Yeah, makes sense. Um, we are beginning to run out of time. Cool. Um, tend to try and finish off our genetics property date with a set of six really quick questions. Yep. Uh, the last thing I was going to say too is um, in regards to passion, I've created a big belief. So when I started in the industry in the sort of mid-90s, basically what happened is every household would buy an aquarium and what I learned is for one year they love it, then one year they like it, and then it ends up in the on the um, council cleanup or whatever. They get rid of it. So now when I sell an aquarium, I actually sell that expectation. So I tell them, hey, look, you're, you're going to buy this aquarium, right? And the reality is one year you're going to love it, one year you're going to like it, and then you've probably seen it. So I've been passionate about fish since I was in grade, about grade four. And I've always loved fish. But actually, if you look at my habits, I go through phases where I just love, you know, a certain genus of fish or I love plants or I love corals. It's change is king. So my mm. advice is set your tank up, enjoy it, master it. But once you can walk past it, and you don't have to look at it, change it. That might just be changing some plants or some corals or whatever. It might be changing some fish or it might be gutting the whole thing and starting again with something completely different. But I really believe that passion is governed by knowledge and passion and, and your interest in the hobby is really governed by um, change. You gotta keep growing because corals and plants and passion is growing or it's dying. Nothing stays stagnant. And if you have the same tank with the same fish and you're not growing as a hobbyist, then you have to be you have to admit that maybe your hobby is dying. Yeah. So I, I, that's a big thing I really like to um, you've got to keep the passion. You've got to. And I think the way you said it, like if you can walk past your tank and not have to stop and look at it, it's time to upgrade it, time to change it, time to do something to it, just to bring that irresistibility back. Definitely, but just don't ask me for marriage advice. No. That's why I've got this room for the first tank in it last year. And I just come here. So what were you saying? Cool. Right. 
So, yeah, we like to, to close off our proper date with a school of six. So, just quick short form uh, questions and answers. So, we'll fire away with that if you're ready. When uh, do we coin toss? Are you hit or tail? Hang on, I just couldn't hear then. When you're doing a coin toss, are you heads or tails? Heads or tails? I like heads. Heads? Paper, scissors, rocks, what's your first call? Rock. You could have a meal with, if you could have a meal with someone uh, at any point in, in the history of the world, who would it be? Angus Young. Okay. Are we alone in the universe? I doubt it. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Coffee, good man. And do you have a unicorn fetish? A unicorn fetish? Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. A unicorn fish. One you might have never kept before or you wanted to see, take photos of, anything like that. Mm. Well, it was a Maori rasp, but I had that for quite a while. It was definitely a majestic angel. I've had that. Um, do I have one now? I've definitely had lots of them over the years, but I end up keeping them. Um, kept reef sharks. Um, probably not right now. Cool. That's nice. That's the first. Yeah. Probably, probably a lie, though. If I thought hard enough, yeah, I, there would have to be one. But I've pretty much gone out of my way to be able to keep everything that I've ever wanted to. Um. So, um, yeah, I can't think of one at the top of my head, but mind you, you know, that's kept like at some point, like it being responsible for like basically every species of owl in the country. Yeah, that's true. That's if, I could have, if, if, if I could have another thing right now, I'd love another fire eel. Cool. Very nice. So, so let's say fire eel because I had, I had one years ago. And it was an amazing animal. And if I could get another fire eel, I don't know what I'd pay for it. Yeah. Are they legal over there? Um, no, no, no. Well, they're nowhere over here. Um, so no. And I did have a mermaid too, by the way. So if you Google Majestic Aquarium's mermaid, then that was another box I had to tick. I'll make sure I do that afterwards. Let <laughs> me have a wee interest in that. All right, well, that's all we've got today. So thank you very much for joining us. Much appreciated. It's great to have your input. Thanks, Cam. Thanks, John. No worries. Good have job. a nice day. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Have, have a good one thing. Happy fish keeping. Catch you later. Have a good weekend, everyone. Bye.